CES Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. Just like that, we're back. I apologize already. I'll tell you why in a second. It is another edition of the Late Kick Extra Podcast, Thursday morning, October 7th, the year of our Lord, 2021. Yeah, I apologize. Some of you, in fact, thankfully, a lot of you listen to every episode. You've probably already spotted the difference. But if you haven't, I am recording in the morning. Now, those of you who are longtime listeners know that's a horrific idea for me. Number one, Because I sound different in the morning, and it's not for the better, friends, believe me. And number two, that means I'm recording not in our palatial downtown tower studio over beautiful Nashville, Tennessee. Nope. With all that available to me, what did I do last night? I procrastinated. I ended up going home at 1030, and here I am recording in an apartment a few blocks away at the crack of dawn. And it's just not good enough. You deserve better. I I know you deserve better. You know you deserve better. So I don't know what the punishment I dole out to myself will be, which is unfortunately where we're at in life. But hey, we'll make the best of it. We got a loaded mailbag this morning anyway, and I do mean this morning. For those unfamiliar, on Tuesday and Thursday mornings, we give you a mailbag exclusive edition, and it is exclusive. You can only find it here in the podcast feed. If you want to hit me up, joshpate706 at gmail.com or... The more preferred scenario at this point, because of the status of the inbox right now, is at Late Kick Josh. Twitter, at Late Kick Josh. Instagram, hit me up there. DMs are always open. Got a lot of compliments on the new studio the other night. I love it. I would like to get some new carpet in there, but otherwise, I love it. That's nitpicking. 99% it's where we want it to be. Uh, We have some few tweaks and adjustments to make. That was our first broadcast in there the other night. If you listen to the podcast and you don't actually watch on YouTube, you didn't get to see all the fancy lights and new bells and whistles and whatnot, go check it out. 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. Subscribe, of course, while you're there. About to be over 70,000. So uh, what I said on the show the other night, I want to reiterate here, and even more emphatically reiterate it here. I don't know how else to put it to you guys. You built that. You built that thing. When they look and they see the numbers and they see the traffic the show is doing on all platforms, That's the kind of investment that we can get. So when I've told you in this microphone dozens of times, it seems like, hey, don't worry, things are happening behind the scenes. Hey, guys, I just want you to know you're making things happen for us. Well, just because I don't snap my fingers and show it to you that day doesn't mean I'm making it up. That's that's been happening behind the scenes here for several months. I've been periodically in there watching them build that. And all the while, I've been thinking to myself, wow, this sure seems like it happened pretty quickly. Well, it kind of did. But what I want to make sure, if I don't accomplish anything else on this podcast this morning, what I got to make sure you understand is that was directly because of you. And a lot of the things that are coming down the road, including some of the stuff we're being able to do right now, like with the Renaissance Tour, going on the road every weekend, different game every weekend, that stuff's not cheap. But nobody at CBS even bats an eye anymore at signing those kinds of expense reports Because of you, because you make it worth it times 100 for them and for me and for us and for everyone. So thank you for that. I mean, I really appreciate it because it's nice to have more reliable air conditioning in the new studio. It's nice for the video not to freeze. 
in the new studio. It's just a lot of things are nicer in the new studio. And with that in mind, I had to pause there to take a very, very big chug of caffeine. I'm ready to talk about something. So a lot of you have asked by uh, probably the hundreds, I would say safely by the hundreds, you've asked about LSU this week. And I did something I don't normally do on Late Kick Live the other night, and you probably heard it if you listen in the podcast feed, you heard it the next morning. And I got some pushback on it, but it wasn't bad pushback. It was just pushback in a sense of, wow, I rarely hear you talk like that. So here's the context, very, very quick 15-second version. I told you I think Ed Orgeron's going to be fired as the head coach at LSU. That is very noteworthy because I don't do that. Those of you who have been with me for a long time, you know I don't do that. Those of you who are new, quick heads up, I don't do that very often. You don't hear a whole lot of hot seat talk on the shows I do. doesn't mean I never hear anything. It just means I I don't like talking about it. I, I just got to be real with you. I don't like talking about people losing their jobs. Even if you're making millions and millions of dollars a year to coach a game, I don't like talking about it. However, there are some points we get to where it's unavoidable, which is why you should know if you're hearing me talk about it, it is DEFCON 10 serious, and it is at LSU. And I think Ed Orgeron is going to lose his job. In fact, I would bet a lot of money on it. So I don't celebrate in that because I love LSU. I'm not a journalist. The specific reason I've never labeled myself a journalist, one of which is so I can openly have rooting interest. I don't have a problem telling you I pull for LSU. I didn't grow up in Louisiana. I didn't grow up an LSU fan. But the LSU people have been very good to me. It's well documented on this program. Uh, I love LSU. Love going down there. Love everything about it. So the last thing I want to see personally and professionally is LSU suffering. But the program is right now. And they're going to make changes. Now, a lot of you have asked about the segment the other night, and you want me to expound on what I mean. Like, how can you be so confident? Because we've seen programs struggle before, and then coaches didn't get fired. And, you know, for instance, Michigan last year. A lot of you have brought up Michigan. A lot of you have brought up Florida right now. They're not comparable. Neither situation is comparable. I am telling you, especially with Michigan. Michigan didn't have a good year last year. But number one, it was the COVID year, which everyone was willing to explain away. But number two, even if it wasn't, even if Michigan would have gone six and six, seven and five, I don't know whether Harbaugh would have been fired if that happened in a normal year, but I'm telling you at his very worst, Jim Harbaugh has football problems. At his very, very worst in that scenario, his problems are limited to football. The problems at LSU only begin with football. They've got what a coaching buddy of mine would call Wednesday problems. Football problems are the Saturday problems. You know, that's the stuff where you see it and you could diagnose it. And anyone who understands the game can say, wow, their right guard is not good enough. Wow, their safety play is not good enough. The program's not good enough at LSU. The internals, the DNA, everything about it is not good enough at LSU. It is regressed. It's continuing to regress. It's not sitting still. It's not just slightly moving forward. It's moving backwards. It is getting worse. LSU as a program will be worse tomorrow than they are today because they have very ineffective and incompetent leadership. But you need to understand something, and this is why I'm kicking the podcast off with this because I want to clarify something. When I say LSU's culture is terrible, I am not speaking about everybody in that athletic department. I'm not speaking about all those players. I'm not speaking about the administrative types. I'm speaking about one guy, which is the key point that I want you to understand with LSU, especially if you're an LSU fan, you want some hope, here's the hope. The program has not rotted. The entire organization has not rotted. This isn't a car with water damage and a dead transmission. And at this point, you're asking yourself, well, I mean, 
why would I even pay to fix it? Let's just go get a new one. That's not LSU. LSU's got four flat tires on it, so you can't drive it. It looks terrible on the interstate around the other cars, but yet you can change tires. And once you change the tires, here's the thing about the car. If you put them on the right way, you tighten the lug nuts and you inflate it properly, it'll run exactly the way it's supposed to immediately. That's what LSU football will be when, not if, but when they eventually make a new hire down there. They've got everything else largely constructed the way it needs to be constructed. They've got some good people down there running that organization. And I want to tell you something else. I think they've got a good locker room. I don't think they've got a good locker room culture at all. I think they've got a great combination of administration and players down there. Think about that. Normally, when you have incompetent leadership, then the attitude, therefore, reflects the leadership, and then everyone else kind of follows the leader, and you have a terrible culture top to bottom. That's not the case. There's a detachment between the head coach and the organization there, almost to the point that there is no following. And so if you look at the LSU roster, if you look at the LSU players, if you look at a lot of the administration, there is no other bad headline that comes out of there. Like, Where are the massive amounts of disciplinary issues? Where are the massive amounts of off-field arrests and whatnot that you would typically see with a program that's spun out of control? You don't have it with LSU. In fact, I've talked myself into probably doing a segment on this tonight. You don't have that with LSU. So my point is, it's sort of turnkey. This is going to be an extremely coveted job because anyone who understands the whole picture will look at it and say, wait a second. We expected to walk in here and look at a situation that screamed, all right, we got to torch this field and start all over. Well, that's not what I see. I see a lot of good people here. I see uh, an administration that's ready to get to work. But I also, I see all the pieces I would think I need to build and put in place. They're kind of already here. Uh, When the new coaching staff comes in, I'm telling you, there's not going to be like a top to bottom flush button or dump button hit on that program. The administration and the program is going to hit the dump button and the flush button. And there's going to be one entity, largely, that's taken out of there. And I think the rest will thrive. I fully believe that. I fully believe LSU will be ready to win immediately when whoever comes in ends up coming in. But I wanted to clarify that uh, because, yeah, if I'm talking about it, I feel strongly about it. And I feel strongly about it because I'm watching a program that should not be in the situation and state they're in be in the situation and state they're in because of ineffective leadership. Ed Ogeron in 2019 I thought was the best story in several years in college football. I talked about it at length. I was independent at the time. I talked about it at length. I've had some people, I don't know what your motivation would be for doing this, but I've had some people come maybe at me, at the very least to me recently and say, oh, you were all about singing Ed Orgeron's praises in 2019. Where are you at now? I'm watching the games. That's where I'm at. Where else would you be? What Was I supposed to criticize him in 2019? That was a great story in 2019. They pressed all the right buttons. They brought in all the right transfers. They brought in all the right assistant coaches. Like you, you deserve credit. Are we living in a world where you get credit your entire life or blame your entire life? Is that what world we're living in? I have no clue where that world is. If the kid brings home all A's on a report card, you praise him. Then if the kid goes and breaks into the bus barn and steals a school bus the next week, and then once he gets out of juvie, starts knocking off convenience stores, what do you keep praising him just because he got all A's a month or two ago? That's a distant memory. 2019, I don't know how to say this without saying it, as special as it was, that's not at the forefront of anyone's mind anymore, nor should it be. This is a bottom line business. This is a results-oriented business at the end of the day. You don't get to rest on laurels. If you want to rest on laurels, forfeit your paycheck. 
If you want to rest on laurels, step aside and be a figurehead and just be someone they parade around Tiger Stadium, but let someone else be the head coach. Let someone else run the program. Well, obviously, that's not the dynamic. Ed Orgeron's the head coach there. And since he's the head coach, it's a continuum. This sport does not sit still. Time does not sit still. And so you don't get to rest on that. So I think changes are coming. I don't need to beat the dead horse anymore, but I think changes are coming. Now, the LSU folks deserve it, and I think they will knock the hire out of the park. I think they will have their choice of almost anyone they want, including some candidates that maybe you would be shocked to know are available. I'm not talking about Nick Saban, so save that. But otherwise, there are going to be some very big candidates that you think are secure at jobs that are going to look at the LSU job, and if they have a shot to take it, they're going to take it. That is a once-in-a-generation type opportunity. LSU is viewed in the coaching community as a top-five job minimum, perhaps even top three. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. It's a, it's a terrible time in this very moment to have to be an LSU fan watching it, but in the midterm, not even the long term, in the midterm, it's about to be a very good time again to be an LSU fan. Next up is John. Uh, John said, hey, have you ever been to a Tennessee game? I feel like a year or so ago you mentioned that you had not been. If you haven't been, what is your preconceived perception of the environment there? P.S. I'm currently listening to the episode where you broke down the games you've been to this year. John, I have been there. I've covered a Tennessee game, actually. Here's the problem. They lost 42 to nothing to Georgia the day I was there. Now, I've seen Tennessee on the road, it feels like, 10 times. But for whatever reason, well, I can tell you the reason, but for whatever reason, I have only been to that one game at Neyland in a professional capacity. And it, I will say this, I remember the environment was pretty incredible. I didn't like the speakers and the sound on the field, didn't like that. Uh, I also didn't like the trash cans on the sidelines, so that's a bygone era. I think we all understand that. I, I did like the environment. It was so obvious how hungry and passionate the fan base was, but I told you I know the reason. Well, the reason I haven't been up there for big games is just because of that. There have not been big games there. I go to the biggest game in the country, or at least one of the top two or three biggest games in the country, depending on your perspective, every weekend. That is a blessing, but it's also been a curse for Tennessee because I don't get to go there. Because I cannot rightly look at any schedule the past several years and say, yep, biggest game of the weekend happening at Neyland Stadium. Boy, I want that to be different. I mean, believe me, believe you me, I want that to be so much different. I think I may have told this story before. It's a very short story, not all that special, but I'll tell it anyway. The first day I was ever at 24-7, I walked into our office. This was even pre-COVID, even though it's not that long ago. Boy, it's funny how time works, because this feels like it wasn't that long ago, yet I feel like COVID is entering its uh, 15th or 20th year of existence. So anyway, I walk in there first day, I get onboarded, get the HR stuff out of the way, good touch, bad touch, you can't make jokes, period, because everything is offensive now. So we get all that out of the way, and then I am talking to one of our folks there. And he was just kind of asking, hey, what is your perception of this space? What is your perception of college football? Because a lot of them had never met me face to face. And so we were talking about different programs. And this is on the heels of the aforementioned LSU 2019 run. And so he was saying, look at our traffic patterns. Like what fan base out there do you think is ready to just explode? I said, Tennessee. I didn't even let him finish the sentence. said, if you had a 2019 LSU thing happen with Tennessee, you cannot even imagine what that fan base would be. And you cannot even imagine the traffic and how much Tennessee football will explode. I've, I've got a feeling, like I've got a perception internally of Tennessee athletics, but specifically Tennessee football, that's just a little bit different than the outside world does. The outside world 
in some more radical cases, looks at Tennessee football and they see it as part of an era in the past that used to be able to be competitive, but can't be at all. I don't even remotely believe that. Like, I dismiss that totally. Please remember, there was a time people were saying that about Alabama, too. There was a time where folks believed, yeah, back in the days of Bear Bryant, with the occasional Gene Stallings coming along, yeah, you could do those sorts of things, but the game has shifted. And now the resources are more allocated nationally. And, you know, now we got USC on top of the sport. And you got Ohio State. And you got Miami. Alabama's days of being able to actually compete at the highest levels have come to an end. If you're 15 years old, this sounds like I'm speaking Portuguese. Uh, kiddo, it happened. It happened. Not that long ago. I'm talking about this millennium. Post-2000. Post-Y2K. People actually believe that about Alabama. What did they do? They did one thing, but in the one thing, they did everything. They got the right hire. They got Nick Saban. So now the reaction is probably, okay, well, there isn't another Nick Saban out there. Well, you're probably right about that, but I got news for you. Nick Saban's not the only guy over the past 15 years to win a national championship. That's the first thing. The second thing is Nick Saban's not going to be around forever. So you're you're approaching, hopefully not rapidly because I love Nick Saban, but you're approaching a period in college football that will be the PS era, the post-Saban era. And so at that point, you don't have to be Nick Saban to be at the top of the sport because Nick Saban won't be there anymore. So, I mean, this is not a this is not a Josh Heupel hate fest. Maybe he is the guy. I'm saying whoever the head coach at Tennessee is, hopefully he's the right guy because if he is, then we get back to the question here. That will mean, yeah, Neyland Stadium is going to be a destination two or three times a season, perhaps. I want that to be the case. I want it to be the case because I love the brand. Like I love the energy. I love the culture of the Tennessee program. But unlike LSU, for this generation, this generation anywhere, if you're like 18 to 25 years old, you have not experienced Tennessee football. You really haven't. You know that Tennessee football exists, but you have not experienced it. To you, it's no different than Virginia football. To you, it's Texas Tech football. Like you just think of Tennessee and it's just another program out there. No, Tennessee's so much more than that. Well, let me rephrase. It has the potential to be so much more than that. I don't blame you for thinking that way. You can only go on what you've seen, but it can be so much more. Next up, Stacy said, are you a hot weather guy or a cold weather guy? Well, Stacy, as I, <clears throat> as I clear my throat, because I'm irresponsibly recording in the morning. Hold on, let me caffeine here. All right, we should be good to answer this question. Stacy, this has changed. The reason I laughed when you asked is because my opinion has changed on this in probably the past five or so years, I would say. And also, I was talking to a buddy about this actual thing uh, probably within the last 48 hours, I would say. Yeah, a couple of days ago. I grew up in West Central Georgia. You cannot really understand, unless you're from that part of the country, how rare it is to see snow and how jacked kids get to see snow or just hear the word snow said on an eight-day forecast. It's a really big deal. I cannot emphasize that enough. If you live in Moline, Illinois, this makes no sense to you. In Harris County, Georgia, in Fortson, Georgia, it does make sense. And so we would get freaked out of our minds. The once every several years, maybe, that we were going to stand a chance of getting a significant snow event. By significant, I mean anything measurable. So I grew up longing for cold weather. I was fascinated by the Weather Channel. Because I could watch the Weather Channel, and I could look at places where snow was the norm. This is also how I knew all of my state capitals in kindergarten. True story. Sherwood Elementary School, Phoenix City, Alabama. Yes, I went to school out of district, even out of state for logistical reasons. Translation, 
I had to stay at my grandma's house until my parents got off work every day. So it was more convenient there. Please don't tell anyone. I don't want to have, I don't want to have my elementary school diploma snatched from me this late in the game. But anyway, I got the principal called down to our kindergarten classroom because he was basically calling BS is what he was doing. If we're being real, he was calling BS on the fact that a kindergarten kid knew all 50 states and capitals, but I rattled him off. Boom, 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 boom. I didn't even get any money from that guy. He just said, wow. I think he got a little threatened. And then he walked out because he didn't know what Montpelier, Vermont was. Well, I did. Your boy did. I knew all about Pierre, South Dakota and Frankfort, Kentucky, but he didn't. And so anyway, I uh, loved snow. Okay. So then I don't know what happened, Stacy, but about five years ago, I decided I hate cold weather now. I hate it. I am basically a snowbird. I have turned into the 65-year-old couple who say, forget this, we've lived in Johnstown, Pennsylvania long enough. We're going to live in Sarasota, Florida for the winter. Well, I don't have the financial means to do that quite yet. I hope to have it one day because you better believe I will not leave the state of Florida. I may even go to Puerto Rico. I don't want it to be below 80 ever again in my life if I can help it. And so I don't know what caused that. I really don't, Stacy. It's been a radical change. There was no in-between period either. There was never a period of, eh, I'm good either way. It was either icebox or it was microwave. But, hmm, well, now that I think about it, I also eat oatmeal for breakfast every morning. So the more I speak my truth out loud, I'm getting a little uncomfortable with things. Oatmeal in the morning, can't stand cold weather, don't want it below 80. My teeth just fell out. Yeah, that's not a good thing at all. Okay, let's toss to an ad break. I've got to mentally regroup. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Third. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil, the final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus. And we're back, and I needed that. Thank you. At my most vulnerable, you were willing to sit through an ad break, so now I'm ready to push on through the rest of this podcast. AU Warden hit me the other day on Twitter, actually. I never got to this. He said, despite the record, can how well Scott Frost has Nebraska playing be good enough to give him another year? Yes, it absolutely can. I don't think Scott Frost is going to be fired. I've never thought that. I know some people have. I never thought that, but... um. You say despite the record, I don't know if people realize the situation Nebraska's in. They're three and two right now, and they have a situation coming up this weekend where it's probably the sneakiest big time game on the slate. It's being overlooked because we've got a lot of huge matchups out there. But you know, Michigan is at Nebraska Saturday. And I know I talked about this a lot the other night. I'm not going to rehash all of it, but Michigan's a three point favorite or thereabouts. The uh, line may have moved overnight. So Michigan is not a huge favorite there, even though they're undefeated. But look, in our JP poll, in our power rankings, we actually think Nebraska is a top 25 team in power ratings. I don't even know if the AP has them ranked. I have not checked. I don't really care. And I'm serious about that. But 
yeah, I think Nebraska is doing fine. It may just be that it took them a little while longer to click. Here's something that you probably have not thought about lately that is a reality. COVID is a reality. Now you think, what do you mean by that? Well, it's a very broad phrase. Let me nail it down for you. Last year, everyone knew that COVID and the COVID protocols, they were at the forefront of impacting the sport. Some teams were being able to practice. Some teams had full stadiums and partially full stadiums, and some teams didn't. And some players opted out, blah, blah, blah. So everyone remembers that. But then we forgot about it because now we have what looks like a normal season. If you just showed up today on Earth, you would look at this season and you would say, yep, that looks normal. It looks exactly like the tapes I'm watching from 2014 or 2008. But it's not all normal. Behind the scenes, it's not. Because what happened last year, especially if you reside in a conference like the Big Ten, and doubly especially if you were trying to build a program in a conference like the Big Ten, you got put behind the eight ball through no fault of your own, by your own conferences and aptitude at the very, very top. You got put behind the eight ball. Well, when you had time taken away from you, you had development taken away from you. Now, you think that just impacts last year, but it doesn't. It impacts this year, too. Several coaches are talking about this behind the scenes and not even just about their teams. They can see it on film for other teams where younger players or maybe less experienced players did not develop to the degree they would have had they had a full 2020. And it has an impact, a residual effect, if you will, on 2021. And so what you're looking at right now, what you should look for at this point moving forward is which teams started off 2021 very poorly and underachieved and had some youth and inexperience on the rosters that maybe suffered from a lack of full developmental impact last year and which of those teams is starting to hit a stride in the middle of 2021. I'm not telling you just definitively Nebraska is that. I'm telling you that's what could be happening there. And so if that is happening, then that means Scott Frost was never really the problem. It could be that an external factor was the problem. Or maybe Scott Frost hasn't been the perfect coach so far, but he's been far from a disaster, the likes of which he's been painted as in some corners of the college football ecosystem. So yes, I think Nebraska's fine. I don't think it's a disaster if they lose this weekend. But if they do win this weekend, Nebraska and Scott Frost are going to go from toss them on the scrap heap to, hey, bring them back over here. Let's polish them up. Let's dust them off a little bit. Let's see if if this will fit on our college football mantle. Maybe a Nebraska piece does look good in here after all. Let me hit Dylan next. Dylan asked a question I've seen a few of you ask this week. He said, assuming both teams run the table, which one finishes ranked higher, Cincinnati or Brigham Young? The answer here, if you go by what you would assume would be the pure strength of schedule rating, the answer will probably be Brigham Young. That is not my answer. My answer is unequivocally Cincinnati because that playoff committee, even though they're not supposed to, I'm telling you right now, will be rewarding Cincinnati for more than just 2021. Now, having said that, let me tell you, it's not going to be an issue. Brigham Young's not going to go undefeated. My guess is they're going to have two losses minimum. But if they were to prove me wrong, has happened before, then you look at their schedule, they will have had wins over Utah, Arizona State, uh, they go to they play Boise Saturday. They go to Baylor. They go to Washington State. They play Virginia at home. Uh, they go to Southern Cal to end the year. It's I mean that's a legitimate schedule. Like we're talking about giving Cincinnati credit for playing two Power Five teams on the road, Indiana and Notre Dame. Well, uh, 
Brigham Young will have pulled that off too. And also Brigham Young essentially has a Notre Dame schedule. They're independents, so they play all over the place. I mean, this is a Notre Dame schedule. And so if Notre Dame were to go undefeated, there's no question where they would be. If Brigham Young went undefeated, there would be no question. To me, there would be no question that they should be in. Even though people think I hate Brigham Young, I don't. I hate trying to pronounce the why. It's been well established here. But I don't hate Brigham Young, BYU. I don't hate Brigham Young. But I don't think they're going to go undefeated either. I question whether Cincinnati's going to, but I think that if they do, that A, they have a more likely chance of doing it, and B, I think that they would be in. C, yes, we're going that deep in the alphabet, been doing some homework. I'm told D, E, and F are after that, but we're just going to C. C, um, there's a game at the end of the season. It's in November, like mid-November, I think, and it is Cincinnati welcoming in Southern Methodist. Southern Methodist is undefeated too, you know. SMU is still undefeated. They got a couple of five and O's in the AAC. Just keep an eye on that. Every year, especially in November, there come one or two games where all of a sudden a bright spotlight's on them, and you say to yourself, "Wait a second, I'm going back to my preview magazine where I circled all the big games in July. I didn't circle this game. I didn't know this was going to be a big game." But then you look at that same list on that same date for that day in mid-November. And you have circled several games that don't matter. You got a five-loss team and a game circled. It's because it's unpredictable. That's why they play the games. So, yes, I think Cincinnati would make it in over Brigham Young. I don't know that they should, but I think they would. But I don't think it will be anything more than a moot point because I do think Brigham Young is going to lose a couple of games. But let's not gloss this over because I just spoke matter-of-factly. Let's not gloss over a ton of credit that should be delivered to Brigham Young. Ton of credit. They just lost a first-round draft pick at quarterback, and they're rolling merrily along in the fashion that like Alabama would do. Now, they're not winning with the margins that Alabama would, but they don't have the talent to the degree that Alabama does either. And they already, here, here's what they've done so far. They beat Arizona 24-16. They beat Utah 26-17. Then they beat Arizona State 27-17. They took care of USF. Uh, they took care at Utah State. And the funny thing is all these scores look identical. 24-16. 26 to 17, 27 to 17, 35 to 27, 34 to 20. They're handling ranked teams the exact same way they handle South Florida. They're beating them by the same margins. Now that's consistency. I don't even know how you accomplish that. That is consistency though. Okay, I've got uh, some random meetings that have been scheduled this morning I got to get to. Do me a favor, a couple of favors. The first is make sure you give the podcast a five-star review. We are pushing for 2,000. And it is very easy and it's free. And if you don't have an iPhone or if you don't have Apple or if you've already done it yourself, like I always say, it's okay. I'm going to give you a pass. Go steal someone else's phone before they even know it. Get in that podcast section. Find the late kick with Josh Pate. Give it a five-star review. A lot of you have done that, obviously, already. I want to get to 2,000 just because it seems so much cooler to be there than 1,800. So thank you for that in advance. I know you'll deliver. At Late Kick Josh, Twitter, Instagram, make sure you're following. Best bets are going to be released. We got more of them coming today. Make sure you're following there. And of course, of course, Friday night at some point around midnight or maybe a little bit before midnight Eastern Standard Time, I will be holed up in a hotel somewhere on the outskirts of Dallas, Texas, and we will do our super secret can't tell management about it, even though they're on our side late night gambling chat. And it's live, and it's only on that Instagram live feed, at Late Kick Josh. Make sure you're following. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And for a third time, thank you so much. 
For Producer Jordan, I'm Josh Bate. Have a great rest of your day, and God bless. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.